Matthew 5, 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are so conscious of how much we need your help. I thank you, Lord, for this this group of people that stand before me this morning. There's no group of people that I'd rather be with this morning or that I love more than these people. And I know that you love them. And I pray that, Lord, in your love, you would show us what your word has to say. And then you would give us of your Holy Spirit so that we can obey what your word has to say to us, Lord. Help me to be faithful to preach and help me to be faithful to live what your word says. And may that be true for all of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These are hard words that Jesus gives us this morning uh, because he cuts to the core of moralism and, uh, and excuse making that's so common in our culture today. These words wouldn't have been so cross-cultural and, and difficult for the world that we live in were I to preach them 50 years ago or 80 years ago or 100 years ago. But a guy by the name of Sigmund Freud, um, most of you have probably heard of him, uh, with some pretty, pretty unique ideas, to say the least, um, he taught... This is a philosophy probably most of you have heard in one form or another. The idea that all of us, every one of us here know that once we reach a certain age, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15 years old, there's some radical changes that begin to happen in our body and that sexual appetite is part of those changes, that all of us are created and made and that's part of God's creation, that that sexual desire is part of that. But what Sigmund Freud taught, uh, among other things, is that, that not obeying those sexual desires and urges creates neurosis and, and even mental illness. And all kinds of things go wrong with us because we don't obey those urges, those, those sexual appetites. And so we live in a culture that takes for granted Everyone is lustful, and you can't do anything about it. But I, I want us to think through very clearly a few things. First of all, um, that it's very clear from Jesus' teaching on this, and in fact, not just Jesus' teaching, but we could look at, at other um, people throughout history and recognize, telling us, when our culture tells us, you can't help not only feeling desire, but feeding desire. Telling us that we can't help it is a good way to make sure we won't be able to help it, right? That if you don't believe that you can overcome something, if you believe it's impossible for you to overcome something, you probably aren't going to be able to. Um, a, a great example of this was, was the fact that up until what? Was it the 1920s that no one had broken the four-minute mile? No one had run a mile in under four minutes? And uh, 
smart people wrote essays and did papers and studies and research and everything. In fact, some of them concluding that it was humanly impossible to run a mile in, f- more, in less than four minutes. And you remember that Roger Bannister ran the mile in four minutes, and within a very short period of time, others had fallen suit. And, and now uh, it's, it's much more common for someone to be able to break a four-minute mile, but you see, no one thought you could, so nobody did. And, uh, and what I want to begin by talking to you about is we have to, as followers of God, we've already talked about this passage, this sermon, as Jesus calling people to a radical state, a radical place of righteousness, that he would empower and enable his believers to actually live out. That the Sermon on the Mount is not a series of good suggestions, of nice things that God has said that he doesn't intend us to actually obey. Remember that Jesus closes this sermon, and I, I'm going to reiterate this. I've mentioned it before. I'll probably mention it again in the midst of this, of this series of sermons. But remember that the last uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon about the two kinds of houses. Remember? And Jesus said about those two kinds of houses, there's a house that's built on sand, And it represents the man who hears the words of Jesus and does not do them. In the context of the message this morning, that's a man that hears Jesus say, lust is radically wrong. Lusting after someone that you are not married to is adultery of the heart. And it's wrong. It's wicked. But they hear Jesus say that and they say, I can't help it. It's just my nature. It's just the way I made. In fact, this is the way God made me. I can't help feeling this lust. I can't help feeling this sexual desire. And Jesus said that man is going to be like a house built on the sand. When the rains descend and the floods came, he's picturing like a, a judgment. Remember that floods connect that to Noah and the ark. The, the rains of God's judgment come pounding down and the house falls flat. This is a man that to look at him... He seems like a moral man, but he has fanned the flames of lustful desire in his heart, and he's excused it by saying, I can't help it. I can't help feeling this lustful feeling. But Jesus said, when that happens, he's gonna, he, great is going to be the destruction of his house. The Great is the fall of that house, because he's heard my sayings. He's heard what I've said. He's listened to my law, and he's refused to obey it. But then Jesus says, there's going to be a man that's heard these sayings of mine and does them. And he, he said, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man that digged deep and built his house on the rock. And when the rains of judgment and the floods of the wrath of God fall, the house stands. Why? Because it's founded on a rock, on Christ Jesus. Part of that digging deep this morning is to push back against our culture when it says you can't help feeling lustful thoughts. And in fact, not giving in to that lust, not allowing, just admitting to yourself, I'm lustful, I like lusting, is suppressionism and it's going to create problems in your life. Nothing in scripture teaches that. Now, I want to be careful here. Pretending that I'm not attracted, is not what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say, if any man sees a woman 
And he thinks that's a very attractive woman and admits that to himself. It's the same as if he, do you notice Jesus didn't say that? This is not about simply recognizing beauty and attraction. There's there's nothing sinful about recognizing even the fact that there is a sexual component, that God has made us with those sexual attractions. But we need as Christians to recognize that there is a difference between feeling attraction and feeding attractions. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between recognizing in my heart, okay, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I have desires in my heart, and I can choose to fulfill those desires in the way that pleases and honors God, or I can choose to ignore those desires. One of the things that our culture also has decided is they have chosen to define ourselves, that we should define ourselves by our attractions, by our sexual attractions. And this is a problem on so many different levels. It's one of the reasons why those of you that are single can struggle so much in our culture because our culture says to you that if you're not able to fulfill those desires, you're less than a man or you're less than a woman. You're less than fully human because you define yourself by fulfillment of those desires. But the scripture does not teach that at all. In fact, Paul and Christ make clear that some people can even be called to singlehood. And even if you're not called to singlehood, Paul makes clear that that we can fulfill the plan and purpose and be fully human even without a significant other. Without marriage and without family, we can give ourselves fully to God and find purpose and happiness and meaning in that place. When we look at the fact that Christ himself, the most perfect and whole human who's ever lived, never experienced sexual satisfaction, he never had a wife and family, and yet he perfectly lived out the purpose that God had for him. It should give those of you that do suffer from loneliness at times, and you struggle in these areas, it should give you a sense of hope. Recognize that you're not defined by this aspect of your life. Is it important? Well, sure it is. God's word has plenty to say about it, but it is not the most important thing about you. Jesus in this passage is telling the listeners that the problem in the heart is not simply desires, but he says, if any man looks on a woman lustfully, with with lustful intent, I think that all of us have a pretty clear idea of what I'm talking about in this passage, of what Jesus is referring to in this passage. We understand the difference between simply seeing and looking, to look with lustful intent. Not only is this difficult in our day and age because our culture says these desires define you, not only because it says these, uh, these, desi- these desires need to be admitted and even allowed to grow and and, uh, to develop. Otherwise, you can't be fully human, and you'll be suppressing something. In fact, you'll be suppressing the most important thing about you. But the other reason why this is difficult today is because in the visual age that we live in, sex sells, and it's all around us all the time. I don't notice it quite as much now because I've lived here long enough that you begin to, I guess, develop a little bit I hope in a good way, of a callousness where 
Um, you don't necessarily notice billboards constantly. You pass them enough, they just become part of the background noise. But I remember the first time that I drove down, I think it's 294, and saw some of the very, like, uh, very clear billboards advertising for gentlemen's clubs, as they call them, for strip clubs throughout Chicago, and just being kind of jolted and shocked um, because there are people that have recognized that the human body draws the eye and it attracts us. And if they can attract us in that way, they can, they can get some people's money. And those kind of places make a lot of money by selling what Jesus says in this passage here is, is sinful, lustful desire that will send people to hell. These billboards are making that a commodity. And so if you're a young man, every single day, probably most days, you, you have to deal with the fact that there are things that you're seeing that are designed to draw your attention and, uh, and to awaken lustful desire. <clears throat> Many times because it's wanting something from you. It's a billboard that wants your money. It recognizes if it can fan into a flame of desire and then connect that lustful desire with a product, with a car, with a cigarette, with a bottle of alcohol, with something that eventually it weakens that sales resistance and you end up falling into a lesser sin than, than adultery, but into something that someone else can make money off of you. And I want you to understand that I, I feel your pain. As, as a young man, as a, as a man myself, I, I know what that means, that difficulty. But what, that's why it's very important to recognize what Jesus is talking about is he's not saying that it's a sin to see. We're going to deal with seeing things all the time that if we could choose, we'd rather they weren't there. But we can choose what we think about, what we meditate on, and what we dwell on. And uh, there's a scripture, it's actually in the book of Job, Job chapter 31 in the first verse. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I look upon a virgin? How should I look upon a maid? And what he's saying is Job has decided to be a man of integrity and not fan the flames of desire that will lead him into a path of destruction. And the scripture gives us sterling examples of people that were faced with these sorts of temptations and they chose to reject those temptations and to choose holiness and purity. Think about the story of Joseph. Joseph is far from home. Joseph is far from everyone that, uh, that he had grown up around, that worshipped the one true God, that knew Yahweh. And yet when he's faced with a very powerful temptation in the form of his boss's wife who has cast longing eyes on Joseph, Joseph chooses to obey God and to honor God. And he says, how then can I do this thing and sin against God? And that didn't bring Joseph wealth or fame. Uh, in the, over the long term, of course, God raises him up and elevates him to the second position in the whole land. But in the short term, it brought Joseph pain, misery, and a prison sentence, wrongfully so. But yet Joseph is remembered today as an example of that kind of integrity. And if God can help us to focus our minds on stories from Scripture that strengthen our resolve to be faithful to the Word of God, 
Psalm 119, which we read together as we were working through the Ten Commandments, says this, How then shall a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto according to your word. The scripture tells us that the way of purity is to focus upon the word of God and to remind ourselves of the results of the kind of sin that Satan would lure us into. Nowhere in scripture, and I want to be very careful here, You all know me well enough to know that as a pastor, I believe in women dressing in modest ways that are not intended to attract sexual attention. I I believe that's what God's word teaches. But do you know that nowhere does God's word say that women should do that because men are lustful? Did you know that it's not there? If we turn to the passages like 1 Timothy 2.9 or or 2 Peter, um, if if we turn to those chapters... What they connect it to is that women are dressing in a modest way because it reflects their identity in Christ. Because your sexual attraction is the not, not the most important thing about you. And that it cheapens what God has said is beautiful and special and so important in a marriage covenant relationship. And it spreads it to everybody around. It, it makes us... It makes us an object of, of uh, like a, uh, a toy, like something for people to stare at instead of something made in the image of God, someone made in the image of God. And, and, but I do want to put in right here, I want to be very careful how I put this. Remember that there is a wrong way to express it. The, why do I think, I think the reason why God's word doesn't connect women's need to dress modestly with man's lustfulness is because if a man is not willing to control his lustful appetites, it's impossible for a woman to dress modestly enough that it won't attract a man's gaze. I think we all recognize that to be true, that, um, that down that road uh, is a Muslim mindset almost of covering every square inch of the body until all you can see is their eyes. But what they realize at the end of the day is the human heart is still full of lust. And if you don't deal with that heart issue, it's always going to bubble out. But that being said, it doesn't, it doesn't relieve us the necessity to recognize, I don't want, this is, should be the cry of every child of God, I don't want to dress in a way that causes others to stumble needlessly, even when they're choosing, they're doing their best to uh, keep their minds pure, to keep their minds on things that are holy. What kind of rule of thumb would we give? Well, I'm not going to draw lines for you this morning, not from this place, from this pulpit, in this way. But I do want to point out this. Sometimes we use little euphemisms in our culture. And so instead of saying sexy, young people would say hot, that looks hot. But what I want you to recognize is that if you have a heart for holiness... If you have a heart that wants to please God, I don't see how you can make that compatible with wanting to be lusted after by men who aren't your husband. If, if this is an issue that a man would struggle with, as men, I don't see how you can want to be lusted after in a sexual way to, for, for women that aren't your wife to find you sexually attractive. I want you to be clear here. This is not the main thrust of this passage, but it is there. Recognize that when we dress in ways that that attract sexual attention, and that's our intention, we can even be sinning by doing that. 
because we recognize our hearts are longing for the attention of people that aren't our spouse and the kind of attention that can never be consummated because they aren't our spouse. I don't think we would even have an issue with this if our hearts are so aflame with the love of God and the love of His Word that we just long to please God. I do believe that that we can long so much to please God that this is not a, a battleground, that we don't have to fight and argue together about where all those lines are. We just recognize in our life, I don't want to cause my brother or sister to stumble. I don't want to be a distraction. I want to dress in such a way that it attracts attention to my face, that it, that it draws people's gaze, and it, they recognize in my life, they just that's not the first thing they notice about me, that my, that my sexual attractions aren't the first thing that people recognize, that they recognize who I am as a person. There's, there's hardly been a culture in history that's so schizophrenic that we want to dress in profoundly sexualized ways and then take deep offense when people notice. That's, that's a, just a weird dynamic in our culture that we can, can be so, uh, so extremely sexualized, but we're very uncomfortable with it. And that's because we've so rejected the word of God that we don't recognize God has wired us as men and women up in particular ways. And it's, it, you can't ignore those wirings without dire consequences. I want us to notice something about this passage, that this scripture is primarily speaking to the issue of sexual attraction, but there is a principle that's here that is important for all of us to understand. Because when Jesus roots the issue of adultery, not in a person's behavior, but in the person's desires, that's true across the board for all sins. There was kind of a fad in the 1960s through maybe the 1980s, and it's still something that you hear about in some circles, the idea of a word of faith, or uh, you maybe have heard some um, self-help guru or new agey kind of person talking about, if you can speak it, you can create it. Our words have power. Your imagination can bring things into being. Anybody ever, you've probably heard people say something like that at one point or another, and some of it, it's just a bunch of malarkey. It, it, uh, it makes us feel kind of good, but it doesn't really accomplish anything. But there is actually some truth here, and this is where the truth is. Jesus is pointing to the truth that where our eyes go, they draw our hearts. And where our hearts are, our feet will follow. Do you understand what I'm saying? Adultery doesn't just happen. Almost never do people out of the blue fall into a sinful relationship with a coworker or with a with a um, an acquaintance, a friend. It doesn't happen like that. Where does adultery start? It starts in the heart. It starts way down deep inside. It starts with looking, and then it moves to noticing. And then what happens is God has given us this powerful imagination. Our imagination does not create reality. But this is what it does. Our imaginations are fed from our desires and then they fan our desires into greater flames. How many of you 
you've had a particular thing that you wanted to purchase or buy. You had a plan in your life. And what you would spend time doing is thinking about the end game. So the only way we make it through college is by thinking about that piece of paper, that diploma. And those late nights and that hard work, it's not just about the diploma. You're thinking beyond the diploma. You're thinking to the paycheck that you'll earn because of that diploma. You're thinking about the house and the car you'll be able to buy because of that paycheck. And you're making real in your mind the end result of the choices, decisions you're making right now. And as a result of that, you're directing your efforts and energies towards accomplishing those goals. Are you with me? You're following me? Satan's goals for you, Satan's plans, are to cut off the end of the path, to to blind your eyes to the end results of those kind of sins. And to begin with just fanning little flames of desire, what if? What if? What if? What does that lead to? Well, it leads to a deep sense of discontent and then a heart craving that begins to long for something we can't have without breaking God's law. And what Jesus is saying here is if we are feeding sinful desires, that is desires that we cannot fulfill without breaking the law of God, then that just that act of fanning the desire is sin of itself. Jesus is not saying that adultery and lust are the exact same thing. That is not what he's saying. Some people could use this as an excuse or to pile extra guilt on someone already feeling that guilt. If you are battling with lust and you've given into that lust and you have fed that lustful desire, either through entertainment or through sinful reading materials or through movies or whatever it might be, that of itself is sin and it needs repented of and rejected. It needs pushed out of your life. But you cannot get to that point and go, well, I've already lusted. I might as well commit adultery. I've already done this in my mind. I might as well act it out. Because sin, while it's the same in quality, it's, it is, it, in other words, it's the same sort of sin, that doesn't mean that all sin has the same effect and that all sin has the same penalty. And the penalties and the effects of adultery in a marriage relationship are so deep and so profound. Far better to repent at that first phase when lust has first begun to conceive and it's bringing forth sin, rather than to wait until, what does James say? Sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. What he's saying is that the further we go down that road, the more profoundly deep the results of that will be. There's, a, there's a, a brand of theology in America that kind of says, well, we're all just sinners. It's wrong. It's wicked. It, it, it gives excuse to sin. It piles needless guilt on people that are doing their best to serve God. It is true that as a human, there are going to be times where you recognize awakening within you desires that are wrong. And what you must do when you get in that moment is you have to suppress those desires. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what he's coming to. Look what he says. He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It doesn't sound like to me that Jesus is saying, well, we're all just sinners. We're all going to lust. Does that sound like what Jesus is saying? It sounds to me like Jesus is saying, run, run from this kind of sin. It's wicked. It's sinful. It's evil. 
not just of sexual desire, but any desire that cannot be fulfilled without sinning against God must be put to death. You say, I don't want this desire in my life. I don't want this kind of hunger to be fed in my heart. I must cut it off. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, in other words, the word offend, um, we use offend in a completely different way today, but in, in the scripture, when it uses the word offend, what it means is to cause to stumble. In other words, if your eye is making you stumble, now really, is it your eye that's making you stumble? No. It's your heart. But Jesus is saying, whatever gate is bringing the stumbling, get rid of it. Get rid of it. If your hand offends you, cut it off. What Jesus is saying very clearly, and this I want especially those of us that are young men to get this very clearly. I think that in almost every instance of young men that are battling sexual desire and they're not winning the battle, the reason is because they're not willing to cut off things in their life. That's why. What do I mean? What I mean is, if your cell phone causes you to stumble, fix that. Find a way to fix it. Whether you get accountability software, whether you get rid of a smartphone and you go to a flip phone, whatever you need to do to have victory over this area of temptation in your life, you need to do it. This is a, I'm not preaching to you all something that, that I'm not willing to live out myself. I'm, I'm thankful that by the grace of God and because of the concern and care and, and sheltering that my parents gave me as a young person, I, I never was entangled in pornography. But because I know that I'm a man and I know that I have temptations that I have to deal with, um, I don't have access to an unfiltered internet connection ever, anywhere. I, my wife and I made a promise to one another when I go to the library, I don't use the library computers, I use my tablet and my phone and my wife has the keys to all that that's what i've done in my life without ever having had an addiction a real deep issue around these things and i'm telling you this just to just to explain to you as my listeners i can promise you god has victory for you in this area if you're willing to cut off anything that's causing you to stumble jesus said it's a small price to pay to pluck out your eye, to cut off your hand, and to enter into life maimed rather than to, as a whole person to be cast into hell. Jesus is making very real. What is he saying here? He's saying that not being willing to destroy and walk away from the things that are causing us stumbling in our lives could lead us to hell and damnation. That's what he's saying. That sounds very serious to me. It sounds like to me that in your life when you're facing sexual temptation, when you're facing, and I, I don't want to just narrow it to that, but any area that you're struggling with, I, I mention that just because that is a fixation of the world around us. It's something we deal with every day. We deal with on a regular basis. God help us to, fit, to be willing to do whatever it takes to cut those things off. I mentioned to you earlier that our imaginations and the power of our imagination is to direct our desires. And when our desires are awakened, our desires find ways of 
fulfillment. Most of us have heard the saying, where there's a will, there's a way. You have friends or you've recognized in your own life, you would reach a point where you decided, I am going to accomplish this, whether it was get a degree, learn a language, lose weight, whatever it might be, get a promotion, and you directed your life to make that happen. Are you following me? The way you would do that is you look at the end and you direct and orient your life toward that end. I read something, and I wish I had it with me this morning, but it's been, it's been some time ago since I read it, about a pastor that keeps in his Bible a list of things that would happen if he falls into sexual sin. He wrote down a list talking about the damage that it would do to his wife, to his children, to his ministry, to his family, to Christ. What he's doing there is he's reminding himself, this is not worth it. I want all of us, I, if, if that's an issue that you're struggling with, do that. Write down a list. But I also want us together to recognize this is something all of us can examine our lives. My wife some time ago talked to me about the way I can hammer on entertainment. And I know I can do it sometimes. And uh, please forgive me. But I know, <laughs> what I know is that we need it. That's why I bring it up over and over again, because we need it. But what I'm saying is in every area of your life, realize that the things I've talked about, the philosophy, the mindset that we're just lustful creatures and people are, the, 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 temp, the tendency for a woman is to say, guys are going to feel lustful towards me anyway, so who cares? The tendency for a guy is going to be, I can't help it. I feel lust. I've tried to get over it, but might as well just enjoy it. Both of those are paths that will lead to death. And they permeate every area of our lives, the way we think, the way we dress, the way we entertain ourselves, the way we talk, the things we listen to. And I believe the scripture calls us to. What does Paul say to Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. Flee fornication. He says to the church of Corinth, he says to them about, here's what he says about fornication or about sexual sin. And, and Paul is preaching to a city. I've talked to you all about this before, but especially the city of Corinth. If I understand right, I believe it's the city of Corinth that over a thousand prostitutes would descend on the city at night. And the sexual ethics of the Roman Empire were such that it was perfectly acceptable for a married man to uh, have relations with multiple different temple prostitutes through that evening and then come home and be with his wife and family. That was perfectly normal. There are countries on this planet that are still like that today. And what Paul, the reason why Paul's hammering the point home to the church at Corinth is because he recognizes that some of these people have come from backgrounds where morally they don't see it as a problem. They don't see sexual sin as a big deal. And Paul says, every sin that a man commits is outside of his body, except this sin. And he says, fornication is a sin against your own body. And that's the context in which Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What would Paul say to us today if he could speak to us? This is what I believe he'd say. He would say, your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, it must be your mind, 
your heart, every part of you must be given in worship to God. That affects, as I said, the way we entertain ourselves, what we listen to. You do an audit of your life and you say, am I really living like a Christian? My concern is not, are you living a little better than the people around you? Have you made a radical embrace of purity part of your life? Because if you haven't, you're in deep trouble. Spiritually, I'm not here to de-Christianize or to throw anyone under the bus. Sometimes we can live in a, in a fog, a spiritual fog, where we don't recognize where we're truly at. But my prayer is that God will help us in messages like this, in scriptures like this, as we come to the Word of God, that the wind of the Holy Spirit blows over our lives and parts the fog of confusion and doubt, and we say, oh, I can't stay here. I can't live here. This is not honoring to God. And you begin to go through the areas of your life that don't please God, that aren't honoring Him in every area, and you say, Lord, I'm ripping out this. I'm cutting this off. I am thankful that I grew up in a place when people got saved, they would have bonfires. Have I, I've told you all about this, haven't I? We had bonfires. There would be a revival, and there would be a, a, different people get saved, come to God, and Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday night, there would be a bonfire. I grew up watching people throw away their DVDs into the, into the bonfire. I grew up watching people bring clothes that they realized were not honoring to God and throw them on the bonfire. That made a deep impression in me. Now, I want you to recognize something. I've, I've spoken about this already. The danger of that bonfire mentality is, I can fix my heart if I just fix up the outside. That's not what the Bible teaches. And it's not what I was taught, just to be clear. I'm just saying that's a danger that it can fall into. But this, when I say God has changed my heart, and therefore I don't want to look in these ways. I don't want to watch these kind of things. But I know that I'm human. And if I keep these kind of things around me, in weak moments I'll fall back into them. You see what I'm saying? That's part of why it's so difficult nowadays because... (laughs) Bash up your TV and you've still got your cell phone. Throw away your DVDs and you've still got YouTube and everything else. That's part of why it's going to be so important that something's happened down in here. Until this is fixed, until our hearts have been cleansed by the Holy Spirit, until we love holiness and we love God and we long for His work. Remember what Jeremiah and Ezekiel say? Ezekiel says, the day is going to come that I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your idols and from all your impurities. Jeremiah says, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. Not like the old covenant. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I'm going to take away the stony heart and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. Do you know that's what salvation is? Salvation is not God scrubbing off the outside so we look half decent or at least better than other people. Salvation is about a radical heart transformation that means we long to obey God. We want to please him. Now, does that mean we enjoy ripping out our eyes or cutting off our hands when it comes to sexual sin and sexual temptation, sexual purity? No. There are times where it requires painful choices and difficult decisions, and it's not easy. 
but we love God so much that we're willing to make those hard choices so that we walk in purity and holiness because we recognize two things. First of all, we recognize that the end of the path of lust that's unrepented of, the end of that path is death and hell. That what I'm talking to you about this morning is deadly serious. It's not a, well, I hope you all can do better about this. It's about saying, no, I'm cutting this off because I know the end of this path is is destruction of my soul. But the other reason is this. When God takes from us these sins, he does it in order to fill our lives with more pleasure and with more happiness than we could ever have before. The very thing that's keeping you from genuine pleasure and worship and holiness and happiness is sin in your life that's unrepented of, that's unremoved. And there are some people that should be spoken to just like Elijah spoke to the people on Mount Carmel. How long do you stand between two opinions? If God is God, embrace His holiness, embrace His purity, embrace the satisfaction that comes only through serving and loving God. And if Baal is God, if the sexual idols of this world are truly God, worship them. Throw yourself into loving them with all your heart. See if they bring you real happiness. And at the end of the day, what you'll find is sickness and disease and sorrow and emptiness and infertility and finally death and hell. Why would we want anything to do with the kind of sin that our world is wrapped up in? Oh God, give us hearts that long for holiness, that love God so much that it makes a difference that people around us can see. Until people look at us and they can tell there's something different about us. That our lives become the expression of our embrace of holiness and purity. Until every choice we make, every purchase we decide, every entertainment decision we we come to, it flows out of that love for God. We long to please Him. We don't want to grieve Him. And so we fill our lives with things that we know honor Him. I've told you all before, we've used, I've used as an illustration, that uh, there, there, there are people that um, cannot st- stand the smell of cigarette smoke. And so you know if you want them to be able to stay at your house, you can't, and it's not just a moral thing. It is a deep distaste, disgust, and hatred of that. Uh, my mom can't, st- can't handle most perfumes. She likes the smell of them, but she won't be able to talk very long. And so if you want my mom to stay around, if you want to have a conversation with her, you better be careful what you're wearing because certain kinds of perfume, they'll just not, they, they won't work. Uh, and you know, the Holy Spirit, we, call, we say the Holy Spirit because he is the spirit of holiness. And he cannot abide sin unrepented of. He cannot abide sexual perversion and evil. And he will not stay. Over and over again through the Old Testament, when the children of Israel embrace idolatry, and I've mentioned to you all before that in the Old Testament Hebrew, adultery and idolatry are the exact same word uh, in many places. In fact, sometimes the many places, the only way you can tell if it's adultery or idolatry is from the context because it's the exact same word. The idea of adultery 
There's spiritual adultery where someone turns from God to worship idols. And that's exactly in, in physical adultery. Someone is turned from their spouse, they're, they're the one that they're to give all of their love to and their commitment and their, um, their desires to, and they've turned and given that to somebody else. And throughout the Old Testament, God reminds the people that when they do that, when they commit spiritual adultery, when they turn to idols and impurity, the Holy Spirit leaves. In our own lives, if we continue in unrepentant sin, if we fall into sin and then we do not repent and turn from that sin, to rip out that eye, to cut off that hand, to remove that sin from our lives, we will grieve the Holy Spirit from our lives. And we can reach a point where the Holy Spirit no longer speaks to us. It's been some time since I mentioned this story, so I'll just bring it up one last time as just a warning to us in this moment. It's been several years ago that I was at my uncle's father's funeral. And my uncle's dad had been a a holiness preacher at one point and a godly man throughout his life. But through some different tragedies, one of his sons had walked away from the faith and embraced a homosexual lifestyle. And when he came to the funeral, he came to that funeral with um, some of his friends that were involved in that same lifestyle. But they would not have told you that they had turned from the faith. They still loved God, and they were still serving God. And they went to church every Sunday, what we would call now today an affirming church. And uh, that son went to the piano and beautifully played the piano and sang Amazing Grace. And after the service, one of those men that are involved in that lifestyle came up to me afterwards or to one of my siblings possibly and shook our hands and said, oh, I so appreciated that service. I could feel the Holy Spirit there. Do you see what I'm saying happened? We can kind of get chills when we think of somebody walking so far from Scripture and then claiming that they can still follow the Holy Spirit. But do you know that's no different than enjoying sexually explicit material than coming to church and feeling like we feel the Holy Spirit? That's no different than dressing in ways that are provocative, that don't really honor God, and then we come to church and enjoy the Holy Spirit. And what can happen in those moments, and this is so dangerous, is that our emotions step into that place and make us feel like we're okay when really we've rejected God. And that's the reason why Jesus warns of people that say, Lord, didn't we do wonderful things in your name? And he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. May God help us to keep tender hearts and sensitive spirits Not about looking at everybody else and trying to line them up, but looking at our own life and saying, does my life honor God? How shall a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. May God help us to live lives of holiness and purity that affects every area of our life. 
so that when we stand before him, we can stand before him unashamed because the grace of God has appeared to us, has transformed us, has changed us, and has given us hearts whose greatest desire is to walk in obedience and holiness. Amen. May it be so. Faith, it's not counting on me. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be providing more grace faithfully. Further proving his great love for me. Grace for the moment, all that I need. Grace for the moment, and faith to receive the promises given to those who believe. Grace for the moment, all that I need. those who believe